0: Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So I, I can't remember how old I was. I was pretty young, and our family uh, flew out from Michigan to California for a vacation. My grandparents actually uh, lived in. Uh, Southern California. And so we came to visit my grandparents. And then I don't remember exactly where we were, but we were in a hotel somewhere in Southern California. And my dad and I got onto an elevator and we were heading up to our room. And there was this really tall guy in the elevator, pretty grizzly looking, like pretty, pretty, uh, just kind of a grizzly looking guy, kind of a tall, uh, not really skinny, but not a, not a heavy guy. And uh, he was breathing really heavy. He was kind of breathing like. And we were kind, I was kind of like, I was a little, I was a little nervous about this. And, uh, and then the guy said, in this really gruff voice, he said hi to my dad and I. And, and my dad said, um, do I know you? And the, and the guy said, well, I don't know if I've met you before. And he's just really gruff, rough voice. Um, come to find out, it was Jack Palance. <laughs> I was like, he breathes like that in real life. Like he, like that's the guy. And 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 I remember Jack Palance before he was in the the greatest, one of the greatest movies of all time, City Slickers. Um, he he was he hosted uh, a TV show called Ripley's Believe It or Not. Anybody remember that show, that old show, Ripley's Believe It or Not? And he hosted, and he and he would he would always at the beginning and at the at, at every point because they had all of the show had all of these these people and stories that were kind of unbelievable. And some of them I still don't believe. And some of them you're like, maybe. But uh, at the end of everything, he would always say, um, believe it or not. I mean, it was just, you know, kind of in his gruff, grisly way that he would do that. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I remember uh, my dad had this phrase that he would always say when he was busy. And he would always say, I'm busier than a one-armed paper hanger. And I was like, what in the world does that even mean? And and, and a while ago, we were at the, actually, the Ripley's, believe it or not, museum that exists, and I went to it. And um, there was a picture of this guy who grew up in San Francisco, and he was a wallpaper hanger, and he had one arm. And I was like, how did my dad know? (laughs) Like... Like, it was kind of unbelievable. I was like, that's where that came from? And, and, and it, was just, it was just kind of funny. But But you know, it's funny because there's all kinds of things. Some of the things we believe, some things we don't. And especially today. We're we living in the, the advent of, of what we call, you know, fake news and fact-checkers. And uh, this is generated from all sides to all people. Anyone you want to try and, and maybe discredit, or anyone you don't like, you, you do the fact-checking. Anyone who you don't want to listen to, you call that fake news. And it's interesting, because we, we distrust what we don't like and we're skeptical of it, and we're pretty open to whatever agrees with us. And really, that creates an environment for all kinds of, kinds of tainted information to go out and be, be, be given to all kinds of people. And it's interesting because when Jesus began his, his public ministry, and especially that we see this in Mark, when Jesus began his public ministry, he, he began with this kind of newsflash, this headline this 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 thing he began with this the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel and so it's interesting that that Jesus basically says believe this good news repent and believe this news that I'm giving you and and it's interesting because because a lot of people at that time believed it was fake news a lot of people went and, and said, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check all your facts, Jesus. I'm gonna make sure that, that what you're saying is accurate. And it's interesting because, because when you look at the different people who Jesus proclaimed that to and said, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, that the disciples generally mostly did believe. I mean, they, they had their ups and downs, but at, at certain times they probably believed with greater consequence and other times they believed with less consequence. The religious leaders definitely called Jesus' message fake news. They definitely said, no, 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 this is all wrong. This doesn't line up with the facts as we see them in the Old Testament. This can't possibly be the Messiah. And so the religious leaders definitely outright denied it. The crowds were really no different than crowds are today. They, they kind of went from day to day, sometimes believing, sometimes not believing, moving one way or the other. Some at one day saying Jesus is the the hope of the world and the next day saying crucify him. And and so the crowds were just back and forth just like crowds are today. And so really the reality is for us, if we believe this good news, if we really believe what Jesus said, that, that Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, if we really believe the gospel, then there's a reality that it should impact the way we live our lives. And, and, and thinking about our, our, our kind of levels of belief, there's different levels of belief and, and it affects us in different ways. Like we believe certain things that don't actually impact our lives, don't we? We believe things are true, but they don't necessarily change the way we live. And then there's things that we believe that, that, that we really go all out for. And, and it actually... It actually characterizes our lives and, and changes how we live and how we, how we function. And, and so the question for us is this. Is the gospel something that we believe in so much that it actually dictates how we live? How we interact with one another? How we think about things? If you have your Bibles this morning, we're in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. And and in this, we see what I would call the essential message of the Bible. The the, the message of the Bible that that began in the garden when when Adam and Eve sinned against God. That is the coming of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is at hand, that it is growing, and and that there is nothing that can stop the kingdom of God from becoming the only kingdom. And, and, so, and so in verse 14, we, we catch up with, with the ministry of Jesus and, and remember that, that here, the, 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 we looked at kind of the prologue last week of, 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 of Jesus, uh, of John calling people to repentance and baptizing and then Jesus going and being baptized by John and then Jesus being driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And, and now we catch up after, after the wilderness temptation of Jesus In verse 14, it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. It's interesting that that that's kind of all we get in that we get a little blurb that John was arrested. At this point, as readers of this, we don't know why. He'll come back to this later, a number of chapters later. But but at this point, just recognize that, that John gets this just short sentence that says, after John was arrested, and that's it. It's because John isn't the focus of the gospel. John isn't who it's all about. It's all about Jesus. And so John is removed from the stage, not because he did anything wrong, but because he's not the focal point of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is. And so it says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee Notice that he came into Galilee from the wilderness. So the wilderness, as we talked about last week, we, ideally I've talked, to, I've talked to so many people this past week about how people are having a, a different and a new perception of the wilderness in their lives. That biblically the wilderness is a place where God begins things throughout the biblical narrative. And so Jesus goes from, from beginning his ministry, being, being called and being identified and, and, and being tested in the wilderness. And it says he go, went from the wilderness where typically we're alone and we're away from people. And it says he came to Galilee where the people were. And so Jesus goes from the wilderness to Galilee where it was all the, the, the people that he came to minister to. And I, and I kind of just wonder if, if the Gospel of Mark was a musical if at this point when Jesus is going from the wilderness to Galilee, if he was like, "I want to be where the people are," anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they, <laughs> I don't know if that would be a thing, <laughs> but maybe, maybe right? Maybe? Uh, maybe. Uh, anyway, so Jesus goes from the wilderness to Galilee, and, and he begins to, to teach people, and it says in verse 15, it says, "And saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent." and believe in the gospel. And, and, so, and so this is the essential message of the bo- gospel, that the kingdom of God is at hand and that our response to that kingdom is to repent and believe the gospel message, the good news that Jesus preaches and 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 so really there's there's this expectation then that people had when they heard that the kingdom of god is at hand that this is being fulfilled in their very presence and there was all kinds of expectation versus how god actually does things because there were so many people in 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 Judaism and in that first century who had studied the Bible, who had had given their lives to the Old Testament and the Torah. And, And what happened was there was all of these expectations of what Jesus would do or what the Messiah, what God would do when the kingdom showed up. There's people called zealots who were ready to take over the government by force in the name of the Messiah. That's that's what they believed based on what they saw in the Old Testament. That when when the kingdom of God is at hand, then they will overtake every government on the face of the earth. And and, and there there was others that had different ideas, but there was all of these expectations. But apparently, a lot of the, pretty much all of the expectations... Weren't how God did it. And you see, the kingdom of God is not past, it's not present, it's not future, like the day of the Lord when Jesus returns a second time and everything is judged. The kingdom of God is actually something that is both eternal and eschatological. God's kingship is both now and not yet. It's both fulfilled and awaited. It's both present and anticipated because God has always been king. And there's never been a moment in human history that God has not been on the throne reigning as king over all the earth. He does, however, allow certain flexibility because, as we've talked about before, God deeply loves humanity. And his patience is a product of his love and he patiently waits for those to respond to his invitation of grace. But here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry... A new era of fulfillment in this kingdom has begun and it calls for a response from the people, which is this age of salvation that we've been talking about that we live in. And so that response is repentance and belief, life-changing belief, activity-changing belief, thought-process-changing belief. And so Jesus, as Mark has presented to us, is in himself both the subject and the object of this good news of the gospel. And he says, the kingdom of, of, of God is at hand, and he says, repent and believe. Last week, uh, I, I kind of, again, repentance is, is something that, that really should be something that we think about every day. Because in this lifetime, we, we should be most characterized by repentance. In repentance last week, I said a good working definition of repentance is a reorientation to the, to the paradoxical values of the kingdom of God, that we are constantly reorienting ourselves. Like if you ever go on a hike and the, and the trail isn't well mapped or, or well marked, you are constantly reorienting to make sure you're on the right path. And that's what repentance is. It is constantly reorienting ourselves to God's path, to God's value, to God's way of thinking, to God's call to behavior. And then belief is not only intellectual acceptance that Mark is talking about here, that Jesus is teaching. It's not just this intellectual acceptance that, is, that, that the news is actually true, but there's an internal response of welcome acceptance and an external behavioral change because you have found that that news is true, that that is, that is true and it is accurate. And so there is, there is both an internal and external change by believing. And, and really what Mark does is he fleshes out what this looks like throughout the rest of this gospel. And and to, to just kind of put it simply that repentance and belief are the basis of discipleship. That we live our lives continually repenting because we are not made perfect yet and continually struggling and wrestling with how our belief in the gospel affects our behavior and our thinking. In, in Acts chapter 20, Paul, Paul says this, and, and I love what he says Is he talks to the believers at Ephesus. He says, and, and when, he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent toward God and believe. Have faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul, Paul repeats that message in Acts in, Acts, in Ephesus. And so, and so Jesus, and so we see this, this 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 encounter continue. In verse sixteen, you would think that after Jesus makes this this declaration, this proclamation that the kingdom of God is at hand, you would you would think that that there is is some kind of I don't know some kind of uh, incredible thing about to happen. That that there would be some kind of like earth shattering thing that there'd be really high expectations that the kingdom is here, that we would expect something of at least of a national, uh, a, a national or even cosmic importance. Yet, Yet look what Jesus does in 16. Jesus wanders down to the beach to find some guys who are basically laborers to join him and be part of his mission. Look at what he says in verse 16. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called to them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And so here when Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom of God is here, this is being fulfilled, what does he do? He, he, again, he like wanders down to the beach and says, hey guys, you guys who, who are not really doing a whole lot, why don't you come follow me and proclaim the kingdom? And it says that they immediately dropped what they had and they went to follow him. You, you see the development of belief in the disciples' lives that, that I don't know what they were really thinking or looking for at that moment, but, but whatever they, were, they thought that Jesus had to offer was better than fishing. <laughs> and, and so they decided, we'll follow Jesus and we'll go figure this out. And so they, it says they immediately left their nets. They left their houses and they went to follow Jesus. And, 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 and so what's interesting, just as an aside, it's interesting Jesus recruited people for the kingdom very differently than we recruit leaders, didn't he? Like, how often have you gone down as you're thinking, man, I need somebody to help me with this ministry. I need some volunteers. I need some, I need some people who are going to really help. I'm going to go to Home Depot and see who's not working. It's not totally that different than what Jesus did. And, 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 and it's just interesting that, that that's how Jesus went to call people into the mission that he was on. Maybe it would be a good idea to to again re-look at and think about the people that Jesus called to follow him and to even help him proclaim the gospel message. And and, and so the reality is that that the coming of God's kingdom doesn't conform to our perceived or even our preferred expectation or vision. And, And those who follow Jesus will have to learn a set of values that differ very much from that of the world. R.T. France, uh, uh, a New Testament scholar who actually has specialized in the study of the Gospels all of his life, says this, The kingdom of God comes not with fanfare, but through the gradual gathering of a group of socially insignificant people in an unnoticed corner of Galilee. (laughs) Like, what great news for those of us who would maybe characterize ourselves as socially insignificant. (laughs) That that's who Jesus called to begin his ministry. His pivotal, world-changing ministry. And and, and so we have to be careful where where we look to see evidence of God's blessing and direction. We have to be careful and and look around and see that, that God tends to work in places That we don't expect him to work in places that 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 we maybe wouldn't bother with because we we may categorize them as not important enough and 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 so historically god does does not use the impressive but the humble and the hidden that's what god does And so beginning now, these people who Jesus called into his ministry, they begin to follow him and they will accompany Jesus all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested. These people will be developed and trained and they will often fail and disappoint. But it's through this flawed and vulnerable group of people that Jesus will use, that God will use to establish his kingdom. What an incredible message for anyone who feels like they can't have an impact. And so, and so Jesus then moves on. And, and really, from, from verse 21 to 35, it's basically a, a, this 24-hour period in the life of Jesus. It's a day in the life of Jesus. It's his activities. It's the way he talked. It's the way he interacted with people. And so through verse 35, it is one day of Jesus' activity, which is pretty incredible. Because look at verse 21. It says, And they, they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And so here's one of the things that they notice. As Jesus goes and he begins to teach, he teaches with words that have authority unlike anyone they've ever experienced before in their life. Unlike anyone else, unlike the the, the, the the rulers, unlike the religious leaders, unlike anyone else that they've experienced in their life. And Jesus uses those same words, but there is a different power and authority that comes. You see, Jesus had verbal power and authority. Jesus demonstrated command over words unlike anyone had ever experienced before as he preached and proclaimed the kingdom of God. Keep going in verse 23. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obeyed him. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And so as Jesus is is demonstrating his verbal authority that no one had ever run into before that, then he, he, he demonstrates his spiritual power and authority. His command over the spiritual, the supernatural realm. This this man who entered into their their midst, he recognized Jesus right away, knew exactly who Jesus was and believed who Jesus was. And Jesus quieted the spirit and said, leave him. And that demon obeyed. Another kind of interesting side note. It's interesting how boldly demons identify Jesus and how quickly they obey him. And, and I think about being compared to other people, and, you know, we, we tend to look at ourselves and we tend to think of ourselves in the context of comparison and say, well, you know, I'm, I follow Jesus better than so-and-so, and, and I, I, I obey Jesus. Um, I think, in general, us compared to demons, we obey Jesus less. You think about it. Because there's never been a demon who Jesus spoke to in the New Testament who said, you know what, that's too difficult. Or can you give me more proof? (laughs) Isn't it interesting that the demonic realm more quickly and with greater urgency obeys the word of Jesus? I'm not sure I want my obedience compared to a demon because I think I will come out looking like someone who doesn't obey well. And and, and so Jesus here gives this, he gives this example of of his authority over the, 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 the spiritual realm. And then moving into verse 29, it says, and immediately he left the synagogue. Jesus was obviously in a hurry that day because everything he does in this day is immediate. And so immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told, her about, they told him about her. And he came up and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. So here, not only does Jesus in this day demonstrate his verbal authority... Not only does he display his spiritual authority, but now he displays his physical authority over the physical realm of sickness. With simply an outstretched arm grabbing Peter's mother's hand, his mother-in-law's hand, he lifts her up and the fever leaves her and she's totally well. And then she like, feels so good, she runs to the kitchen and starts serving them. <laughs> Because she's so excited to be out of bed and been healed by Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't just do these things, one example of all these things. He didn't go in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to teach in the synagogue with authority. Then he said, I'm going to cast this demon out with authority. Then I'm going to go heal Peter's mother-in-law with authority. But Jesus did these things not just once, but he did them all day and into the night. Look what look what Mark's writing, look what Mark writes in verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. <laughs> and so Jesus didn't just do this once. He did it over and over and over again, all day long, into the night, it says he healed many. the whole town showed up at his door, and he healed many people, and he was constantly casting out demons. And it's interesting, because Jesus is, is, is kind, of, kind of reminds us of someone else. Because you see, at the end of the day, the disciples, the religious leaders, the crowds were left with these almost pieces to a puzzle that was beginning to take shape. The question that I would ask that I think that, that was the question that these people had to wrestle with was, who does Jesus remind me of who has verbal authority, who has spiritual authority, and who has physical authority? If you you begin to look at that, you think there's really one other individual in Scripture that that looks like, and it looks like God himself. That God, with a word, verbal authority, created all that we see. That God, by his spiritual authority over all of the supernatural realm, put down a rebellion before he made humanity. That God raises Jesus from the dead to show his authority over the physical realm, which is the greatest thing that can happen in the physical realm, is a resurrection, is defeating death. And so it's interesting that Mark gives us this trail, but he doesn't outright say it yet. But he gives us these, these breadcrumbs to say, who does Jesus remind you of? Who speaks with authority like Jesus does? Who has this supernatural authority like Jesus does? Who has physical authority like Jesus does? And and we keep coming up to God himself or maybe a prophet from the Old Testament that God was working his power through. And so immediately at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see that, that he is being identified as something other than the random group of people who came to preach and proclaim and did different things around them. And so the question for us is what does it mean that the kingdom of God is at hand for us today? Because Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand years and years ago. What does that mean for us today? Because we look at the world around us, and, and I would say the world really doesn't seem like it's improved much, considering the kingdom of at hand was the kingdom was at hand when Jesus had his earthly ministry. And here's the thing, we are living in the era of the kingdom. This kingdom is proclaimed and found in Jesus Christ, and this kingdom is being filled with people characterized by repentance and belief. So you see, here's how you can recognize that you are part of this kingdom, that you are identified in this kingdom, is if you are characterized by repentance and belief. Anyone who cannot say I'm sorry or repent, that would be a big question mark as to whether or not they actually know Jesus. And and so see, these people who who fill God's kingdom are often socially insignificant people who have surrendered to an extraordinary God. And where these people are, there you will find the kingdom of God. And so if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and come to him in repentance and belief, then wherever you go, you bring the kingdom with you. Have you ever thought in the places that you go that you are bringing the kingdom of God into that place? Now, there's a a safe way and a dangerous way to think that. Because when we're doing things and we're behaving in a way and thinking in a way that, that we know honors God, we can say, yeah, I'm bringing the kingdom to this place. But it's when we're not really reflecting Jesus well we still bring that kingdom but we make that kingdom look not as much the way Jesus designed it wherever you go as a Jesus follower you bring the kingdom of God with you and you can't leave it behind because it's now part of your nature and and so what's interesting when you think about a kingdom In in conventional terms, a kingdom is all about protecting its land, expanding its land, and the prosperity of its kingdom at any cost. Yet the kingdom of God is this upside-down paradoxical kingdom which basically leads with this primary thing, salvation at even the expense of the present with a secured future. Salvation even at the expense of the present moment with a secured future. And what that means is that, is that as long as we as, as kingdom Jesus followers are reflecting him genuinely and accurately, no matter what we sacrifice, no matter what trials we face, no matter what we've been accused of, as long as we are reflecting the gospel of Jesus Christ and taking steps forward with salvation, proclaiming salvation, then guess what? Even as I, as I maybe lose the present moment, eternity is secured. The future is still intact because nothing can change that. And so the question for us is, whose kingdom am I expanding one of the things that, that kingdoms did and kings did was that they would take their sons or daughters and marry them to other kingdoms and make alliances, and then and then that would that we, we see that in, in, in the Old Testament, and that's how, how Israel got into trouble. How King Solomon got into trouble because he began he began marrying with these, these women from other kingdoms, and their God started to influence his thought process and his behavior. And I think it's interesting because because we all have our own kingdom that is constantly battling the kingdom of God within ourselves. And here's what I realized this week. I make alliances by, in a sense, marrying these other kingdoms because I want what they have. And that begins to water down. That begins to disrupt my pursuit and my reflection of God's kingdom. Be very careful What alliances you make. Be very careful. The kingdoms that are not God's kingdom that you make deals with. Whose kingdom are you expanding? I put together this chart. I spent a long time making because I'm not good with these things. But just something simple to kind of look at. and, And Am I making my kingdom or am I investing in God's kingdom? In my kingdom... I'm easily offended. I hold grudges. My opinion defines things. That's what happens if I'm building my kingdom. But if I'm building God's kingdom, then regardless of how I'm treated or what people look at me like, I'm merciful, pure in heart, and I'm a peacemaker. How can you tell whose kingdom you are expanding? Well, it's, it's, it's pretty easy. If you are constantly offended by people, you might be building your own kingdom. In, in my kingdom, people are there for my benefit. They benefit me. Yet in God's kingdom, people are pursued because of God's love. People are not there to make me happy and to make me what I want to become. People are there as people who are, who are to be pursued because God loves them and wants to bring them into a saving relationship with him. In my kingdom, success, success results in pride. Pride. Look at what I did. Look at what I've accomplished. Yet in God's kingdom, my success comes from grace, and I recognize that. And it's not that I deny it and lie about it, but I recognize God's grace in my life, that the only reason I have success is because of God. In my kingdom, I minimize failure because I don't want people to know about failure. But in God's kingdom, failure is an opportunity for growth. Failure is something that we have to recognize and, and, and we allow other people to see those failures in our lives because they are opportunities for God to grow us, to make us more like Jesus. In my kingdom, there's a temporal focus where I grasp at what I have and what I've accumulated. But in God's kingdom, there's an eternal focus, grateful for what has been secured for me. And the last thing as an example is is that power in my kingdom is what I can do and what I can accomplish. Yet in God's kingdom, power is from the subject, the one who I pray to. Power is only given from God himself. It is not my power, but it's God's power through me. You see, I cannot expand both kingdoms. I will live for one or the other. There is no mixing of kingdoms when it comes to God's kingdom. So the question is, what kingdom are you expanding with the way you, you use your words, with the way you use your influence, with the way you, you act or behave? Whose kingdom are you expanding? As I was working and studying and praying this week, there's two things. One, this morning... If you're, if you're here in person or you're, you're listening somewhere at home or on the go or with family or friends, the kingdom of God is at hand and Jesus calls us to repent and believe. And I know that there's those who haven't done that yet, that, that maybe you haven't been willing to repent and receive Jesus and believe that he is truly your savior you've not surrendered your life to Jesus. And so, so this calling of the kingdom, Jesus calls us to repent and believe. And repentance to Jesus is simply this, saying, Jesus, I know that I am broken and sinful and I have lived for my own kingdom and I want to, to, to receive your forgiveness and I want to live for your kingdom. And so will you forgive me and be my Lord and Savior? That's really what it takes to repent and believe and then grow. And so, if you're here this morning or if you're watching from somewhere this morning and you know that you need to reach out to Jesus and you want someone to walk you through that, then just text CP Connect to 94090 if you want to talk to someone about that. And, and, and we will love, be so happy to, to respond to you today. But you can do this by yourself, wherever you are. The other thing that God laid on my heart this week is this. Jesus says the kingdom of it ha- is at hand, repent and, and, and believe. We are in a time right now that is so full of struggle and strife, and argument. It's not a peaceful situation. And it seems like today, no matter who you are, you have a solution for all of these things. No matter who's talking, someone has a solution. And, and the odd thing is that really none of the solutions really all work together. <laughs> We've been really liberal with our opinions as of late. And some of our opinions might be accurate. They might be right. I don't know. But here's what, what, what the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week. I want you to know, first of all, as, as kind of a, a confession, I hate mornings. I do not like early mornings. Mornings is fine as long as they arrive around 9, like 8.30 pushing it. But I hate early mornings. But the Holy Spirit really convicted me this week. And we as the church have done a lot of talking, a lot of thinking, a lot of throwing around Bible verses. But here's where the Holy Spirit led me this week, is that we as the people of God have got to participate together in corporate prayer and repentance. And so for, for those of you who've been saying, you know, what, what can I do? I want to do something. We tend to go to action so quickly because we think we know the answers. And so starting this Tuesday through I don't know when, I want to invite our church family here Tuesday morning at 6.30 to 7.30 30 here in the park, the parking lot, however many people show up. And our, our mission on Tuesday mornings is to simply participate together in a prayer of personal and corporate repentance. Because that's what God calls us to do. I think God calls for less opinion and more repentance. Repentance. And, and in that time, we can be praying for, for the, the, the end of the fires, the end of the pandemic. We can be praying for our government. We can be praying for all those things. But, but what God calls us to and what marks, characterizes the person who is in the kingdom of God is repentance and belief. And so I'd invite anyone who wants to join me at 6.30 Tuesday morning to come prepared to pray and repent on a personal and corporate level as long as it takes. Because you see, this is not necessarily about changing the world around us. It is about changing us and bringing us to a place where we more accurately hear the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where we then can lay our opinions aside and recognize that we are all the people who God has rescued and that God has redeemed in spite of ourselves. And maybe there are actions we need to take. We all absolutely need to vote because it's critical and there are very significant things at stake. But if all we do is vote and we don't seek God in repentance, then we're no different than the world. And and, and so I would invite you to that. I'd invite you to gather here, participate in personal and corporate repentance. Because as as I've thought about Mark chapter one and what Jesus said, it sounds like the thing that we should be most about is showing ourselves as true citizens of God's kingdom and those people are characterized by repentance and belief. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and I pray that you you would bring us to a place of complete surrender. God, that whatever it is that you want to start in us, that God, we would hear that clearly. God, that we would place ourselves in positions where we can better and, and more accurately hear your word in our lives. God, that we would lay ourselves down and recognize that you are king and that you always have been king and no one can threaten that. But God, as as your kingdom residence, I pray that we would reflect and characterize you accurately. And God, at least for me, it begins with repentance. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you will place your hands upon us, that your spirit would be heavy within us, and, God, that we would be a people who are united, if nothing else, by the fact that we have all been rescued by the same great King. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.